find something of value. The higher education community in South Africa is really unintellectualized. How central the humanity is. Welcome to The Academic Citizen. I'm your host, Mahita Ikani. Take a moment to breathe with me right now. Start by exhaling all the air in your lungs. Now, inhale, smooth and steady, as though you're pulling a piece of silk through a gold ring to the count of four. At the apex, let your breath rest. Then, exhale again, pulling that silk back through the ring to the count of four. Let your empty lungs pause again for a couple of beats. Now do it again. Inhale, two, three, four. Pause. Exhale, two, three, four. Pause. Did you notice any difference to your mood in the few seconds that passed while we spent some time noticing our breath. When I was 19, I did a scuba diving course. At the time, I lived in Joburg, a landlocked city, and therefore we had to do our qualifying dives in an old quarry that had been filled up with water. They had put some fish in it and sunk into the depths a few odd things, like an old bus so that there were things that the novice divers could look at while they were practicing. When I waded into the water for my first dive, I had the wrong ratio of weights on my belt. So as soon as I was in the depths and my feet could no longer touch the silt below, I just started sinking. I panicked, obviously, and my breath suddenly took on a life of its own jumping and leaping about without any regularity or rhythm. My dive instructor saved me, corrected the weight belt problem and helped me to calm down. I went on and I completed the qualifying dives. I even swam through the bus, but I never actually scuba dived again after that. If you've ever had a panic attack like I did that day, you'll know how traumatic it is to lose control of your breath. This one process that we so take for granted is at the core of our existence. It seems like I'm stating the obvious, but I want to do that anyway. Breath is life. That lesson was painfully underlined through the early months of the COVID pandemic as we watched, panicked and terrified, as sick friends, colleagues, family members and fellow citizens were put on ventilators, needed oxygen, as that nasty, spiky virus tore its way around the globe. COVID took our breath away. For many, forever. Never has the privilege of breathing been more apparent to this generation than in our collective experiences of surviving this pandemic. In the previous episode about ancestors, Dr. Nosipom Gomezulu took us on an existential journey about time, identity, and archives. In this episode, I continue the existential quest in slightly more prosaic terms by pausing to think with and through breathing as a modality of knowledge. I speak to two scientists who focus on different aspects of breathing. Dr. Elamanga is a medical doctor 
who explores holistic wellness, integrating both mental and physical health through breathwork practice. Professor Tallulah Oni has created a brilliant citizen science project that uses running in cities as a way to gather evidence to support clean air policymaking. Alongside conversations with these two rather inspiring researchers and scientists, we also have a special feature, extracts from an audio ethnographic narrative exploration of breath as a strategy for coping with the challenges of pandemic life. Created by none other than my brilliant collaborator on this podcast, Dr. Nosipo Ngomezulu. In her piece titled Hold for 60, None, 2 and 7, A Recipe for Disaster Management, first published on the Medical and Health Humanities Proceedings of the 2020 Breath Symposium, Dr. Ngomezulu reflects on how breath was a strategy for anchoring her academic and personal life during the chaos and trauma of the pandemic. We include two short extracts from her narrative in this podcast. The rest you can listen to in the links provided in the show notes. Here is the first piece. Hold for 16, hold for none, an abbreviated recipe for disaster management. It's seven o'clock in the morning. You wake up on the edge of the left side of the bed. That's the wrong side of the bed. You try not to remember that another body used to be there. No, no, scratch that. You hit the snooze button. Just just snooze these thoughts. It's too early and too late to start thinking. Eyes barely open. You scroll through your Google Drive to begin your morning breath work. You will need the following. Ingredients. A body. Ideally, this body should be yours. But if you're borrowing it from another, that will do for now until yours returns to you. Perhaps you'll borrow your mother's. She's been here before. At your age, she'd had three children and gathered herself between televised and private riots. You are not the first to live under precarity. Now gather yourself. Assume the posture of dignity. It is too late to be in a fetal position. Never mind if the limbs are not enough to hold that is heavy and weighing you down. Your two arms will have to do. You'll need a cell phone. A lifeline stretching beyond your studio apartment to the dizzying flurry of the outside world. You will crave connection without the contamination. You. You will need Wi-Fi. The sea into which you will cast your lifeline, fishing for contact. Mind the oil spills and the shipwrecks. It's crazy out there. You will need your bed to steady yourself. There is no terra firma. The floor is lava. So ground yourself. Even if the security guard in your building will ask you to return to your flat when you tiptoe to pick lavender, just barefoot across the communal garden. Find your grounding anyway. Method. Step one. Lay on your back. Step two. Place your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your stomach, just above your diaphragm. Relax. Step three. Deep breath in, release. Deep breath in, release. Step four, hold. Hold your breath for a minute. You are safe. Try not to think. Just feel the breath move out of your lungs. Don't hold on to it. Just just let it go. You are safe. The tingle in your jaw is normal. Allow. 
allow the oxygen to move through your body. Relax your lips. Don't purse them, attempting to rest your breath back into your body. I see you. Just allow your lungs to expel this air. Allow the power of breath to fill you. Yeah, you're feeling your fingers twitch against your body right now, aren't you? Okay, well, just allow the breath to circulate through you. Quieten your thoughts. Every thought is a breath. Just allow flow. If your eyes begin to twitch, don't fret. Just allow that sliver of light to enter. This dissolving of any blocks. <laughs> okay, your body is twitching. No, it is not time yet. Don't rush. Allow yourself to relax. You are not dying. Fill yourself with life force. Step five. Deep breath in. Step six. Hold. Hold your breath for 15 seconds. This this feels normal. This, this feels normal. Oh. Step seven. Okay, release. Release your breath completely. Now repeat these steps, one to seven, two more times. Breath is life, and the purpose of life is to be alive, to live. Breath is something our bodies do without conscious instruction from the brain, a bit like our heartbeats and physiological processes like digestion. Unlike our heartbeats and gut processes, however, we can actually control our breath simply by trying, simply by focusing our attention on what the lungs are doing. The breath is a link between body and mind, and breathing with attention is something every single human being can do, if they wish. My next guest, Dr. Elamanga, argues that conscious breath work is a powerful tool that we can use to improve our physical and mental health. So I'm Dr. Ila Manga. I'm an integrative medical practitioner and the founder of Breathwork Africa. So lovely to be talking with you. I think you're just the perfect person to ask <laughs> this question. Mm. It's to do with the science of breathing. So, you know, I understand mm. that, you know, breath is a, it's a physiological process. And I'm sure there is a lot of scientific and medical and health research that goes into understanding how breath works in our bodies. So I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about your journey as a, as a medical practitioner and as a doctor. So what brought you to the scientific study of breath? I, in my practice, had been identifying the real issue of burnout and trying to understand the, the phenomenon of burnout, but also in a more holistic perspective. Because often when we talk about burnout, we see on one hand, we see it from a, a psychological perspective, and then medical doctors or more holistic doctors will speak about it in terms of adrenal fatigue. I realize that mm. when we bring our conscious attention mm. to our unconscious function, mm. we are able to affect powerful changes in our physiology. And the more I started to study breath work, the more I realized that every single aspect of our physiology, every system can be affected and influenced by the breath. 
So can you tell us more about the science and the physiology of, of breath? I mean, I think we all know we have lungs and we breathe in and the air goes into our lungs and then the oxygen is distributed through our body. But mm. you've hinted at how various systems and functions within the body that we may not realize are linked to breath are in fact linked to Absolutely. breath. And so when I studied breathing at medical school, it was in terms of the respiratory systems seen in isolation and really looking at pathology and approaching breathing from a pathological paradigm and really not appreciating that this is a function that affects every other system in the body. And it is only through my own investigation and study that I started to appreciate this. Mm. The latest studies in the field of neuroscience are illuminating fascinating links and aspects of our neurobiology that are connected to breath. So Dr. Jack Feldman, who's a prominent neuroscientist, has discovered a very interesting part of the respiratory center in the midbrain, or the brainstem rather, called the pre-Botzinger complex. And this is a specific uh, cluster of what he describes as interneurons that is responsible for activating or initiating the inhale. These neurons will pick up on carbon dioxide levels and the baroreceptors in the rest of the body and will start synchronizing. And once they start synchronizing, it will initiate an inhalation. So this pre-Botzinger complex is responsible for our natural breathing rhythm. Just above the pre-Botzinger complex, located right above this cluster of neurons, is another area in the respiratory center called the locus ceruleus. Okay. And the locus ceruleus seems to respond to both attention and paced breathing separately. This is really interesting. So as soon as we pay attention to something, this part of the brain lights up. When we start to slow down the breath and regulate the breath, this part of the brain lights up. It's really interesting what would happen if we combine attention with paced breathing. Mm. And these are the studies that are being done now to show that when this does happen, okay, it dampens the activity in the limbic system and it wakes up the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes. Okay? Mm. And so there's this whole communication system that is happening in the brain connected to breath. We are also starting to identify other neural pathways connected to the breath. And the most well-known and well-researched pathway is the vagal nerve pathway. Okay? And the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It's a cranial nerve. And most of the signals are afferent nerve signals, so, which means that it sends signals from the body to the brain. Okay? So 80% of those fibers are constantly feeding back information from the body to the brain. And so when we slow down the breath, when we change the rhythm and pace of the breath, these signals are traveling via the vagus nerve to the brain. Okay. We also have the olfactory nerve pathway. So when we breathe through the nose, you know, it also will impact the parts of the brain that start to wake up. So, you know, breathing in different ways, mm. I start to wake up different parts of the brain 
And so we're starting to see now that there's certain practices that will wake up the limbic brain that allows us access to the limbic system and subconscious memories uh, will increase the chemical DMT, which is often what we see is raised as we are about to die. Hmm. So this is so fascinating that here with the simple unconscious function through breathing in certain ways, there are 14 parameters of the breath that we can change and play around with, like musical notes, Hmm. rhythm, pace, how much we hold on the inhale, how much we hold on the exhale, you know, how we slow down, how much volume we use of our lungs. All of these parameters will influence what we experience physically, emotionally, the subconscious states we are able to access. Mm. I mean, it's so interesting and it it makes sense that there is a scientific basis and scientific evidence for understanding the links between the functions of breathing and the different ways of controlling breath and how different parts of the body and brain and nervous system will respond. Are there other ailments or illnesses that we have evidence for how breath can help us to heal? Absolutely. You know, and what you're speaking to, Anita, is the fact that breath is a language. So every thought that we think, every emotion that we feel, every posture that we hold has a corresponding breathing pattern. And so when we can breathe a certain way, we can change immediately how we think and how we feel. But we're also starting to understand, uh, going back to your previous question around how breath is related to every system, how we can influence various ailments by working with the breath. So for example, we know that when we regulate our breathing and we engage the main breathing muscle, which is the diaphragm, and we understand the anatomy of the diaphragm and the fact that the posterior attachment of the diaphragm is at the lumbar spine, we realize its profound impact and importance in maintaining and stabilizing our posture for example. Mm. So our postural health and back pain, for example, can be influenced by breathing more, what we talk about functional breathing. Mm. Okay, So how we should be breathing in our everyday lives, Mm. right? We also know that when we engage the diaphragm, we are influencing our digestive system. So the diaphragm works like a pump. And if we are breathing the way we should be, with every breath, as the diaphragm flattens and moves back to its dome shape, it is massaging all the organs of the abdomen. So the spleen, the stomach, the liver, uh, the gallbladder, the intestines are all getting a massage with every breath that we take. The heart is being pulled down with every breath that we take. With every inhale, as the diaphragm flattens, it's drawing the heart down. And as the diaphragm moves back up into its dome shape, the heart moves back into its resting state. Because of the attachment of the diaphragm to the pericardial covering around the heart, so it's actually profound to watch a functional MRI and to see how every system is influenced. It's like just a beautiful kind of rhythm. And so when we really study a breath in depth, 
we realize that it's far more than the respiratory system. Mm. When we breathe, the whole body breathes. Mm. You know, one of our favorite parts of the training is to show our students the dissection of the fascia. And the fascia is the connective tissue that connects every part of the body to everything. And they're organized in specific lines. And we see in that dissection that the fascial lines all meet at the diaphragm. So every time we breathe, there's a connection from the top of the head to the soles of the feet. Mm. Hmm. And so it impacts on lymphatic flow. Mm. It impacts on the immune system. It impacts on the digestive system. It mm. impacts on our neurological system. Yeah. You know, there isn't a system in the body that cannot be and is not influenced by conscious mm. breathing. And in terms of breath as a, a tool for healing or as a kind of breath as a form of medicine in itself, Perhaps you could comment on, you know, I think also the links between mental well-being and physical well-being. Like a, a lot of us will experience the mental stresses of everyday life, like work stress or family stress or interpersonal conflict or whatever. And we, we see those as kind of separate from our physical well-being. Yet, you know, breath practices can help us cope with those stresses and anxieties. But there's also a link, right, between physical illness and mental state of mind. And I wonder if you want to comment a bit on the ways in which breath kind of connects those two domains of illness mm. and well-being and healing. Mm. We actually cannot separate the two. Mm. And even the fact that we're still you know, talking about mental well-being, physical well-being as separate terms, mm. I think needs to shift, you know, and COVID has certainly brought this more to awareness. And in studying long COVID, for example, or people who experience acute COVID, we realized that the core aspect of this was inflammation. So inflammation was the core aspect of this. And uh, previously, it was thought that the brain was immune from the inflammatory processes that were happening in the body. But we realized that they're actually not. This was illuminated by studies that were done around brain tissue and a particular cell that was discovered in the brain called the microglia. And the microglia are really the immune system's ambassador in the brain. So when there's inflammation in the physical body, it is mirrored by inflammation in the brain through the activity of the microglia. So when microglia are healthy, they support neurogenesis. So what that means is that neurons will start to knit together. But when there's runaway inflammation, these microglia can act as scavengers or rather they start to eat up brain tissue almost. And that can severely impact our emotional state. And so brain fog and a lot of the emotional symptoms that we are seeing post-COVID can be attributed to the activity of microglia, which is also modulated by the vagus nerve that I was talking about. So it seems like the vagus nerve is key in connecting uh, what is happening on a physical level and what we are experiencing on a mental and emotional level. So in what ways can we practically use breath to improve our well-being or to address 
different forms of ill health that we may be experiencing. I know Mm. that you're an expert in this and you have multiple resources that you make available on your website and that you share during the many different workshops and events that you offer people. But perhaps you could give Mm. us a little insight into how breath can be deployed practically as a tool for helping us Mm. feel better when we are not feeling well. So I think the first thing is to learn about it to acknowledge the profound impact it has and to start developing a relationship with your breath, to notice it in moments, what is happening to the breath when I'm feeling anxious, what is happening to my breath when I'm concentrating on something. We all suffer from email apnea. As we're scrolling on our phones and typing an email, we tend to hold the breath. And so what happens is that we are developing dysfunctional breathing habits by virtue of the way that we are living. Our modern lives, our technologically based lives, the clothes that we wear, the stresses that we are dealing with every day are pushing us towards dysfunctional breathing pattern, which in turn is feeding stress and anxiety. So just by the way that we are breathing, we are experiencing a constant low-grade state of anxiety. This is becoming our baseline. And so when we bring awareness to the breath and we start to retrain our breath, then we can lower the baseline back to a more natural state. And so from here, we can reach into the intensity of everyday life, but we know how to decompress. So breath awareness is number one. And there are three pillars of functional breathing. The first is in our everyday lives, 95% of the time, we should be breathing through the nose. Okay. And this is really important because the nose is designed for us to breathe. The whole architecture of the nose and the architecture of the respiratory system is designed that we are making the best of what nasal breathing brings us. And there's a whole rich science to that. And, you know, with COVID and mask wearing, uh, many people have developed a habit of mouth breathing, which is exacerbating stress and anxiety. So that's mm. the first pillar. Mm. The second pillar is to retrain the diaphragm, okay, and understand how that works and training that diaphragm, which involves us to move the body in more natural ways. So taking care of the posture so that our diaphragm can work optimally. So when we nasal breathing and using the diaphragm, then we naturally will start breathing more slowly at rest. So we want to bring our resting respiratory rate down, Mm. which will then reflect a state of calm focus. This is what we mean when we talk about functional breathing. Mm. And then there are specific breathing practices that are really helpful. So breathing practices that can help us upregulate to kind of energize the system, move more towards a healthy energy state. There are specific practices that can help to downregulate the system. So feel more calm, more relaxed. And there are practices that are more balancing, okay, Mm -hmm. that will balance the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system so that we're experiencing a state of calm focus that we want to experience in our everyday lives. So so Mm -hmm. whether that's studying, learning, in a meeting, whatever that is, we want to be in a state of calm focus. so that we can really optimize our brain function. So, Mm. you know, we can learn three techniques that will be a mini toolkit that can support us in our everyday lives. And so breath is a creative force in itself. It is inspiration. 
<laughs> and while we have these tools and these techniques, it really is all to serve the experience of life as art. Mm. Life as mm. a creative experience, a mm. co-creative experience. Mm. You know, so when we start to engage with and come alive to what is naturally supporting our lives, we start becoming co-creators of our lives. Mm. We start to take responsibility for in a beautiful way. We start to uh, uh, appreciate this life force and co-create a life that we wish to live and that mm. we deserve to live. Yeah. And it's all here. You know, we all deserve to live beautiful lives, happy lives. And breath is a very accessible tool for each of us to do so. There isn't a living human on the planet who does not breathe, right? So it's all perhaps the most democratic of all tools. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that because it really is, you, you mm. know, and this is why I feel so passionately mm. about sharing breath because it's free and accessible to mm. every human being mm. and especially in a country like ours that mm. is the most unequal in the world that mm. is so under-resourced, especially in terms of health. Mm. Here is a tool that we can all have access to mm. and, you know, it gives us a sense of agency. Yeah. Yeah. In terms yeah. of our own health, which is it's crucial. Mm -hmm.